Hey, welcome to the Articulate Ox Podcast. I'm your host, Soma79. Thank you, 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 thank you so much for joining me today. My guest is Kate Parnell, and her and I share a love of Garfield. And as anybody who's known me for a long time, and the longer you've known me, the longer you've known this, is that I'm a huge Garfield fan. Garfield is probably the biggest, earliest influence in my life that made me fall in love with drawing and cartoons and comics and all that stuff. And I'm glad we still see Garfield around to this day in many different media and um, memes and all that cool stuff. Um, Kate has a great story about how she became um, an artist who works primarily in the media of Garfield. Um, She explains it better than me. So definitely check out this interview, check out her page, buy some art from her. And uh, she's an absolute delight. So thank you so much, Kate. And I'll talk to you. Hey, welcome to the Articulate Ox podcast. I am your host, Soma79. My guest today is Garfield from Memory artist, Kate Parnell. How are you doing, Kate? Doing all right. Glad to be here. I'm glad to have you here. So um, we're chatting a little bit a second ago. Garfield to me was like the the probably first art that I ever really absorbed. It was just, you know, it, it was came out around 1977. I was born in 79. And I think I started looking at it around like four or five years old. And I just, it was the first thing I drew. I drew it on everything when I was a kid. And it was um, what everybody knew me for. Did um, you find- the, yeah, I know they had little prompts sometimes where they would say how to draw Garfield. Yes. The- um, so I do have some, so I have some different things I'm going to show during the course of the episode, but like I had all these books. I still have like all of them that these have all the, the weekly comics. And in one of these, there was a little step-by-step one where it showed you how to draw Garfield. And that's where I learned it from. That was basically the first thing I learned to draw on my own. So how about you? How, how what was your introduction to Garfield? Uh, actually, I am from a household where we, we didn't really read Garfield. My mom's not a big Garfield fan, um, which is kind of ironic now and everything. Um, but yeah, it just wasn't really a part of my, I was more Calvin and Hobbes, um, Snoopy, you know, Peanuts, all of Um, Calvin and and Hobbes and Garfield, there is sort of an Elvis versus the Beatles relationship with that, where it's like, it's like people usually either white like one a lot more than the other. You know, it's like there's because they they kind of really touch different parts of the brain, I think. And it's a very different approach to to making a cartoon franchise. You know, I think Waters was it Waterston? Yeah, I think yeah, yeah. Bill Waterston or something. Yeah, Waterston. Yeah. Um, I think he stopped eventually because it was so much of a grind, and because he didn't want to merchandise. And I, that's kind of the the polar opposite yeah. of Garfield, which had its own, I mean, it was its own licensing juggernaut for years until finally it just got bought by Viacom a few years ago. Yeah, it's um, it was really one of the first things that I remember being super, super merchandised. And I think a lot of people saw these when we were kids on the back of cars. Like this was mine from when I had and I got my first car. But um, these were all over. The- these were like baby on board stickers. They're everywhere. Exactly. Yeah. And everything else had Garfield. I mean, if you look at the the range of Garfield merchandise, it's it's kind of staggering, you know, from from like 
inline skates to back massagers to yeah. uh, you know, every kind of t-shirt imaginable it's yeah. it's it's pretty impressive for a what was at least a an independent comic you know an independent company for a while yeah to, it's to be, fun yeah you like know. Garfield, um, sometimes I think of Garfield a little bit like like the Dukes of Hazard, which is like a show that if you looked back at the ratings, you'd be like, oh, my God, when the Dukes of Hazard was on, like like a third of the people watching television were watching it. We got to make more shows like the Dukes of Hazard, but it's only because there was only four things on. And I think Garfield is one of those things that critically speaking, it's it's kind of the same jokes over and over again and it hasn't grown a ton, but the merchandising of it and just the different ways they've been able to explore those same those couple basic characters we all characteristics we all know of Garfield have kept it alive for years and years despite it being sort of like a couple note gag. Well, and it's kept it uh it's kept it contemporary in a way because there's still Garfield merchandise coming out pitched at pretty much every age group out there I mean they Garfield was was one of the things I love about it it was how saturated the market was with Garfield products yeah and they've lingered you know in people's emotional lives in in their hearts and people are really have a lot of love for garfield and just in the world there's just a lot of garfield i guess now new movie coming out and everything so probably yeah i feel like it's a brand relaunch about to happen and they'll probably sue the shit out of me when it does (laughs) yeah you always gotta be careful with stuff like that it kind of makes me wonder if there was maybe something about the 80s when Garfield kind of became big that that I think human maybe people were just tired after like the 70s and after like Vietnam and after Watergate. They could, maybe people could just relate to this cat that was just like had had enough and just is like sick of going it's like sick of Mondays, just wants to eat some lasagna and chill out and be grumpy and kind of rule run his, his own roost. I wonder if there was some because like we said like I said before, there weren't as many of these characters that were I mean now there's nine million Pokemons and I couldn't identify one of them and there's like all the Dragon Balls and all that stuff. But it's like everybody knew what Garfield was. It was like Snoopy. It was like and I wonder if there's just something about that of the times that people just were ready to just turn into their their big fat cat selves, you know. Well, it definitely, it seems like it would vibe with the whole me generation yeah. 80 thing. But also just kind of there for a lot of people as children, which is kind of wonderful for me now getting to interact with all those people who still have this very childlike place in their heart where they just love Garfield. Yeah. It's just so regenerative for people that that love can kind of translate and i i just that's one of the greatest things for me about having this as my subject because it's it's really flexible people are used to seeing garfield in all kinds of forms and on all kinds of things but there's just this general undercurrent of goodwill which as a person who's who has a lot of depression issues and stuff like that i kind of needed that in my life and I didn't yeah. realize I can like relate much- to that as well. Yeah. That that when that there's something so pure and so just is happy about and I think Garfield in general maybe appeals to the emotion more than appeals to the to like, you know, as an intellectual thing, but it really hits the emotion hard. It really it's 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 comfort food, I think. It's comfort food for the mind to some degree. 
Yeah, lasagna for the so, mind. Yeah, lasagna for the mind, which actually I think that's my new band name. I gotta write that down. Um so let's so let's talk a little bit about what you do in particular. I don't know that I I think I'm just gonna have you describe it because I don't know that what I would say would be accurate or um, I'm curious to hear how you describe it. But um I, I found your page on Instagram. You do a lot of art that's Garfield related, and I'm gonna let you take the description from there. <laughs> Well, really, I kind of, the whole thing started as a drawing project about uh, a little over four years ago, and I was coming out of a really difficult time personally, and I had really kind of lost touch, lost faith in my own art. I went to school for art. That was kind of what I always thought I would do, and I just kind of stopped being able to connect, and I thought, I need something to help me get back into the, the practice of making art. And I just, I was somewhere where there was a lot of Garfields. It was my friend's restaurant. They have like a million little cups, the little lead containing Garfield cups from McDonald's. and Like these? Yeah, just like that one. Uh -huh. <laughs> that's, that's your cadmium intake for the year. Oh, the, are these things dangerous? <laughs> oh my God, yeah. Don't, I mean, maybe Google it afterwards. Okay, holy shit. I'm glad we had this talk. <laughs> Some of them have uh, like enormous levels of lead and cadmium in the ink. Yeah, you might well, you might want to Google that. Oh my god! But also, I saved my life today. Well, also, like half the people I I have as followers are like, oh, I drink out of those every day. So I don't know. I don't know what that says about it. But great. That's why we all like Garfield. We're slowly killing our brains. <laughs> right. But. It, I was somewhere and there there was all of this these little Garfield tchotchkes and mugs and things and I was just doodling it and I remembered that feeling of being a kid and knowing how to draw something from memory you know yeah. knowing how to sit down and draw this character and even though I never really was attached to Garfield I kind of thought it's maybe even better because I don't I won't feel like I'm screwing up something that I'm not emotionally attached to and i won't feel like i'm if i say i'm doing it from memory there's no way i can i had to kind of create this elaborate thing for myself but i i just i had to there's no way i could do it wrong and there's there is this really empowering feeling and i didn't uh, you know i didn't need garfield to be anything in particular it could kind of be anything right. and started doing these on the bus on my way to work and they, it kind of somehow was I don't even know how to how to describe because I don't really know how it worked so well so is the but, concept that when you say by memory I can picture it but I'm having trouble putting it into words because obviously I've seen the pictures so is it that you a lot of the stuff that I saw on your site, it looked like they were, I don't know if these were paintings that maybe you got at thrift stores that you then worked Garfield into, or if they were, if some of them were ones you created totally from scratch that you sort of, how, what's the the nuts and bolts of it? Well, uh, originally it was just drawings and I was kind of trying to stay close to the traditional Garfield cartoon, but the from memory thing was sort of an easy out if it looked a little funky i was like well it's from memory so yeah, it yeah i remember it and it gradually started to kind of it just felt like everything was coming into it all all of the other things in my life all the music i listened to and 
things that my friends liked and things that people would suggest. I started posting them on the internet. And now what I'm basically doing is, is either making work and selling it through the Instagram or taking commissions and making paintings of things that people want to see Garfield in. Yeah, you or, have an impressive following too. Like I it's um people are very rabid about this. It's Garf the Garfield uh social media community is is so much bigger than I, I had any idea about it really. And there's a lot of people who have been doing similar projects or have been doing Garfield themed projects for since Garfield's been out there, really. The one that comes to mind for me is the Garfield without Garfield. Have you seen that? Is Garfield? Yeah. I, it's and that that's why I love it and the thing one of the things I really love about it is that Pause Incorporated which is the the merchandising arm is the Garfield Corporation when it was still owned by yep. Jim David. By Jim David. Yep. They put out that book, the collection of Garfield minus Garfield. Oh, did they? They it's an official pause. I got to find that. Yeah. And I kind of I really loved that for a lot of the projects like Lasagna Cat or Garfield minus Garfield or the Sorry John thing, they they were really permissive. The the Garfield licensing people, I mean, they didn't really come after people in the way that say like the Charles Schultz estate has. Right, right. and they're like, also too willing at this point to sort of poke fun of themselves. I think and, so. Yeah. And I think you see that sometimes when like, you know, Star Wars now is a little more willing to poke fun of itself. And I think it's sort of it helps when you know these people that are taking all your money have um like a sense of humor about it. I guess I don't know. Well, I, I also realized that the the fans are becoming are, are gaining a sort of agency in this and, right. and becoming creators in a way or or kind of a secondary creator themselves, you know, and right. they're much more involved, I think. And some of these brands too sort of need to be updated over time. It's like I don't know if you watched the Save by the Bell revival they did. It was I, you. You <laughs> did. I I only I saw a little bit of it, but okay. I just couldn't. It just didn't seem to translate at all. Oh, see, I me. really enjoyed it. Like, Save by the Bell was really big for me as a kid. In that, I felt like they they kind of like they corrected for time and they sort of gave us some of the same stuff we used to love. And I feel like at some point with this stuff, like like. Garfield has to evolve a little bit in order to keep. And I think the way they evolved is, evolved is sort of the way the Ninja Turtles did, where it's like, oh, we're just going to keep putting more costumes on Garfield. We're going to keep like, you know, coming up with new situations to put him into. It's like because he's going to react the exact same way, no matter what situation gets thrown into. So. Which is that kind of continuity you need for a good running joke. You right. Know? Because you have to go into it's if you're going to tell a joke in three frames, people have to have to already come in with a lot of information on the first frame. As soon as they see Garfield, they already are already jam packed with knowing what Garfield is all about, you know. <laughs> so, um, let me see what else. So, like, what I, I still want to go back to exactly. So, from memory, do, do you just not look at Garfield? Do you make a conscious effort oh. not to um, engage with Garfield content? It a misnomer now uh, or i would say maybe it it has kind of a, a larger let me actually show you something that's uh is probably a good pivot this is a toy that i recently picked up that i don't you know if you're familiar with mf doom yeah i it, there's actually uh i there's a print of the um any uh, one of his albums but i 
Yeah, maybe this. There's this too with with Garfield. That was done by this artist Thumbs that's in the UK that I really love. Uh huh. And so this was a, a toy that I recently picked up. He only made about a hundred of these, but there he made them all by hand, I guess, and painted them all hand. But it's MF Doom Garfield Metal Claws, and um, I don't know. They I'm surprised at how much of this stuff that they're that they're able to kind of get away with. But that was my favorite little um little Garfield thing I bought recently. I think a lot of it is if you're small enough to to kind of go under the radar, you know, fly under the radar, or if it's a small enough batch that it's not really worth, you know, like yeah. I, 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 I'm the work that I do is primarily original art that uses Garfield, but because it's an original piece, it's covered under parody law. Right. And that's one thing that's very interesting. I should make this clear if people haven't seen your art. When you look at it, it's not like the Garfield is almost it's it's in the background and it's not like a Where's Waldo situation. It's more of like you, you're blending the colors and, and sort of like making part of a drawing in like the 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 pin, the stripes that Garfield had and things like that. So it's it's pretty far away from what you might imagine someone doing Garfield art would be. Well, and I get to say that's where I kind of come back to the memory thing. You know, Garfield for me in this project has kind of become uh, it's become a way for me to interact with other people and kind of make these mashups of things that they love. But it's also kind of Garfield isn't isn't as much about like you said, it's not about the cartoon character. It kind of becomes about the parts of it, like the eyes. Yeah, that's a's or the stripes or the colors and it's it's sort of now it's kind of almost like finding ways to incorporate garfield into the painting that are not as obvious and and sometimes mm. i'm sticking garfield like a very cartoony garfield in there but i think for a lot of it it's it's yeah it's become a little a little more of a stretch from the original source Right. But that's sort of just the way art evolves in general is that you there's that the period of, of something becoming bigger and bigger and then it starts being deconstructed more and more. And it's like you're you're pretty far down that line of deconstructing what Garfield was, because, I mean, it's like you look at one of these beautiful pieces you do and it's maybe 10 percent Garfield, 5 percent, but you still feel all that same emotion. It's really cool. Well, thank I appreciate it. I'm glad to translate. <laughs> yeah, I, I was super pumped when I saw it. It's just, and I just love all the different ways that the character can can be adapted and what it, what the character means to so many different people. It's um, you know, there's there's so many things now that just bring us down as a society. But I mean, like your point before, I mean, something that's kind of just pure joy and hasn't been totally you know infiltrated and destroyed yet. I really, I I mean, to be honest, it's it's something that I really needed in my life. You know, I really I needed a way to kind of access um, this feeling of joy, you know, and, and of remembering things from childhood. You know, it's kind of now memory is is almost deconstructed, too. You know, it's not just I remember the steps to draw Garfield. It's like I remember these feelings. You know, you have right. this plush as a child and you just invest all of your heart in it in a way, you know, That's and there's sad. been a lately that shows the it's this you know this is my my wife's garfield plush that she slept with for 40 years and and this is what it looked like new and it's that loving something that much changes it and changes you 
you know, and 100%. it kind of has, it's given me a way to, to kind of access the things that bring me joy in my life. And, and in a much more meaningful way than I ever, ever expected when I started doing this. We talk a lot on this podcast, there's a lot of conversations about mental health and that word joy that you just said a few times comes up a lot. And it's something that I think a lot of people don't think about is that, you know, there is everyday happiness and there's just like, oh, like maybe I found a 20 on the street or something like that. But joy is something that kind of tickles your soul in a way. And it's a way that it's, it's, it's happiness that comes with an escape and it's happiness that has less boundaries and it's something that hits you deeper. And it's something that um, over the past, and I struggle with some mental health issues myself, um, OCD, depression, ADHD, all that stuff, like you know, non-binary, so a lot comes with that. But like um, you be, being able to identify joy and then try to find ways to recreate it for me helped a lot for my own mental health. So I, I yeah. This, this really, I, I would say in a lot of ways, this project saved my life, you know, um, I, I, had, I had been about a year away from um, attempting suicide uh, when I started this project. And I just had, I had gotten through it, but I hadn't really figured out a way to go, to keep going past it, you know, mm-hmm. and um I had really stopped painting because I felt like it, I wasn't able to really access something, you know, it just wasn't, I wasn't able to connect with people with the work that I was making. And this has just kind of been almost like a conduit for me to kind of celebrate the things like painting that are incredibly important to me and that give me joy in my life and to kind of illuminate the things in other people's lives that are meaningful to them. And so it kind of took something that maybe started a little bit jokingly or, or was, you know, I was maybe a little more satirical about it. And now I, I am really proud to do this for a living. You know, it's like it seems like the most bonkers job in the world yeah. to like make bootleg Garfield art for like, but um, it's kind of I I feel like at each stage of this project, it's sort of been like like the giving tree. You know, it mm-hmm. it has grown and it's kind of allowed me to grow and it's given me tools. Um, so I I feel like it's it's been a huge thing for my mental health. It's it's funny in that way that can only happen when you talk about things from like a long time ago and stuff that hits to your core. You just kind of triggered memory in me in that. So I, when I was a kid, I was I was very depressed. I I would have suicidal thoughts probably as early as like nine, eight, nine, ten years old. I had a lot of issues with that. And it's funny now that I'm remembering one of the things is I lived in a very small area and my world felt very, very small. And to me, Garfield is one of the first things that showed me that there was something outside of this very small bubble I was living in. And it, it was something that I'm like, oh, okay, well, maybe I can only see what's in this, you know, house that's surrounded by trees and forest or in this town that's really small. But this, there's an address on the back of this thing I love so much. And I know that's out there somewhere. And mm-hmm. You know, and to whatever degree I can disappear, I mean, as a kid disappearing into actually the words and the pictures and whatever, 
but it gave yeah. me inspiration. It, it satisfied me in the moment and gave me hope for the future. And I, I'm feeling those feelings come back as you're as you're saying what you're saying. Just seeing the address on the back and kind of knowing, yeah, your body that there's more than what you're going through at that yeah. moment. And seeing like a real human being, Jim Davis's signature on it, and being able to recognize that, and going like, you know, that's the only. He still does the cartoon. He does. He still does the comic every day. Wow, it's that's the he wanted to keep when he sold Garfield. He wanted I, to keep. I bet the, that's that's sort of like one of those jobs like Pat Sajak has, where it's like, okay, well, you know, we tape thirty-two. We have thirty-two weeks of a year of original programming. We tape them all a week's worth in one day. So I'm really working like thirty-two days a year and getting paid this big salary. I bet Jim Davis is knocking those out in like a weekend and being like, "All right, time to drink some of those Garfield martinis from my Garfield super like slush going machine or whatever." I'm I'm nervous about drinking out of this. I mean, honestly, I, I have a lot of I have a lot of people that have sent me pictures of themselves because I've posted a few times um, how how extreme the uh, <laughs> lead levels in those are. Nice. People are so you you won't be alone. Yeah. Yeah. I'll be waiting in line for St. Peter with a bunch of other Garfield friends. <laughs> Garfield fans. <laughs> mcdonald's too yeah i know oh yeah the mcdonald's the probably you know is it any worse for me than the freaking rest of the happy meal that it probably came in <laughs> this was something else that a few years ago my 40th birthday one of my childhood friends who i've rarely seen since really high school he showed up and he gave me this little garfield ceramic thing that says congratulations you did it and <laughs> I think this is funny because this was something that was very, they don't really make these ceramic type things. This was a very yeah. 80s thing for me that you'd see a yeah. lot of stuff like this. Like, you know, I guess the Garfield Hummel. I don't know. Oh, with those berries figures. You know what I'm talking about? Yep. Those very much like that one. Yep, with yeah. With hollowed insides. and Exactly. Yeah. 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 It was really, it, it's really kind of a 70s and 80s thing that, I don't know, just not as big these days. Mm -hmm. It is kind of funny to me, though, that somebody who really, the last time the person really, really knew me, we were under 10 years old, and he shows up my 40th birthday and actually hits it out of the park with something that I still care about. I, that's how <laughs> I'm, do, I'm doing, you know? You don't lose that love for the things that you love at 10. Yeah. You know, in there somewhere. And whether you're, you know, Citizen Kane and it doesn't come out until you're about yeah, to cry. Rosebud, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> or if it's you know you you do it every day and and you're surrounded by garfield stuff it's funny how how much it lingers you know yeah um do you do you have any memories of the garfield and friends cartoon show that was on in i want to say maybe the late 80s uh my main memory was watching the the terrifying halloween special every that, year I, I, you know i that came in my head a few minutes ago i was going to mention that up that really scared me and i watched it, it again about a year or so ago and i was like i can see why it's a, it's an alarming thing for kids. I mean, I think that, you know, maybe like these days they they kind of softball it a little bit, but that one with like they're being chased by pirates. Yeah, I think they they kind of have to swim and there's fear of them drowning maybe at one point. Yeah. Yeah, Odie saves Garfield. Yes, that's what it was. Yeah. That's a lot, you know. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, yeah. It was that, that was I I was free that that goes up there with um the return to Oz and the in the um Dark yeah. Crystal and the end of Superman three that kind of like ruined for like three years of my life when I was a kid. <laughs> You're like, 
his <laughs> waiting for those rolling dudes from uh, the wheelers. Oh yeah, I saw that in the theater. I saw that my mom took me. I was in second grade, and I I was I was like, well, where's Dorothy? Like, where's like where's Toto? <laughs> like, what's going on? <laughs> and then years later, to realize that little girl was Feruza Balk, I was like, oh, that's pretty funny. <laughs> I know, kind of amazing, right? Yeah. Like. Yeah. Um, I asked about the cartoon show because I have another little thing. This was um a present I bought for myself for my birthday years ago. The only thing I've ever ordered from Garfield directly is it's a cell from Garfield and Friends. Oh signed by Jim Davis. The the light's not helping me here, but it's like an original cell from like the cartoon. And it's an earlier one too, I think, right? I think so, yeah. And the reason I got this one, it's kind of hard to see, is it you know, as I mentioned before, Garfield like Oh, this is probably the best angle to hold that I've seen now. Yeah. Garfield is, um, it's kind of the same joke over and over again. You know, Odie's dumb, whatever. This is one where if you kind of see their eyes, which is hard to do, Garfield is really wide-eyed and Odie's almost rolling his eyes at Garfield. So well, it's it's one of those few times where, where Odie's kind of like a little bit like ahead of Garfield or a little sharper than Garfield. And I was, that's, that was the reason why I liked it. <laughs> I always, I always like those comics when they go a little bit off off of like the standard, you know. Yeah, very nice. Yeah, I was a big fan of that. It was funny. I found out there was this other comic called Grew the Wanderer. It was a comic book that was that was what got me into comics. It was kind of a silly comic, like it was a Conan, uh, Conan the Barbarian parody essentially, and uh-huh. that was what got me into comics. And it, they're still publishing it today. It was done by this guy Sergio Arnone. I always get his name wrong. Sergio Argona, Sergio Arnone. I don't know. He you'd probably recognize his style. He drew, he's he's drawn in every episode, every issue of Mad Magazine ever, and he's uh-huh. like the fastest. Um, uh, cartoonist ever but the guy who wrote all those cartoons also wrote all of um most of garfield and friends so oh, wow. there was this one dude that was i think up in new hampshire that was doing everything that i loved and i never realized those two worlds were being done by the same guy i mean it's like it makes you feel like there's very few jobs and like tough to get them if like one guy has all the good ones but <laughs> well it is also was it uh was it the Garfield friends that had Lorenzo music. Yes, Lorenzo music. And his voice, I think, really, that That's what, really sold it. Yeah. When like, I hear, if I, if, I, if I read Garfield, the voice I hear in my mind is, is Lorenzo music's voice, yeah. which really embodied everything about it to me. It did. And it, it's it's Bill Murray-esque. And I think that was one of the reasons why Bill Murray eventually was the later Garfield after Lorenzo music passed away. But um, it I think that the Garfield and Friends in like well, I guess before that was those those specials. But I really do think that it was his voice that that really made it that much more endearing because it mm-hmm. I, I it's like I don't know that I ever read the comic prior to that. And I don't know what I hear in my head, but I definitely hear that in my head when I when I read Garfield. Yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent. It's also weird, too, because the the actual conceit of Garfield is something that when I think about kind of breaks my brain is that, you know, we talked about the Garfield without Garfield thing. But if we're to believe the world of the comic, John can't actually doesn't know what Garfield is saying ever. Because he so either because Garfield isn't speaking, he's thinking all the time. Right. So John really, but you do see them basically having conversations sometimes, but so I guess that's just sort of the, you know, it's a, it's a cartoon. So you sort of whatever, but it's easy to fall. It's easy to sort of read the comic and just sort of read it as them communicating with each other. But then Mm -hmm. when you realize that, oh, like 
for some he reason, can... Garfield knows what John is saying, but John doesn't know what Garfield is saying. Right. I guess is how it breaks down. I don't know. Yeah, the Garfield minus Garfield really, really chilling. Just, <laughs> it it really just becomes psychologically weird after a few of them. You start unpacking that side of the equation. Who was yeah. this? He's living with these animals that have this rich interior life that he knows nothing about. And he's walking around in like those crazy plaids and giant bow tie. You know, I just like, I guess, is this, is it uh, a self-portrait by Jim Davis? You know, because right. then it, the guy's what? name is Jim and his job's a cartoonist as well. So I kind of. Like the snake eating its own tail, <laughs> like or the lasagna <laughs> eating its own pan. I don't know. So like um what what so you you mentioned before you didn't really come from a Garfield house um what was it for you as a kid that really captured your imagination like you know in the like something that may be similar to how Garfield did for me did you have anything that really you were touching I read a lot um and I just I would have these really elaborate imaginary stories that I would kind of be thinking about all the time I guess I used to I used to really look forward to going to bed because there was that 15 minutes or so before I'd fall asleep and I could yeah. just completely go into my head. Um, and then, you know, later on, I think I I started to get into things like Mad Magazine and like and I, I read a lot of like pulp sci fi like there's, there used to be a great used bookstore that had all of these like 60s and 70s um, incredible stories and yeah. all those little pulp magazines um, with like Ray Bradbury stories and, and you know, early Asimov and stuff. Um, a lot of those things too. So just to, sorry to interrupt, like I had oh. bought something, if you know who Jack Kirby is. Um, yeah. All right. So I had bought some prints off of Jack Kirby's grandson, Jeremy, who now kind of runs keeping Jack's memory alive. And in, in them, he sent me a, one of Jack Kirby's old books. And it was one of those pulp sci-fi ones. And like, I didn't recognize any of the author's names in it, but it was from, I mean, maybe the forties or fifties and they were all excellent stories. And it makes you forget, it makes you sort of forget sometimes that we remember maybe 10 names from an era, but there were hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people doing interesting things that didn't that didn't may not have you know caught on like a supernova but there's so much cool stuff out there that hasn't and been touched in years too super weird stuff that like yeah. stories will just be you know it, it uh, kind of a thin premise for a book but for a story it's like okay you're like on a boat with like a talking broccoli and like like a dog-headed man and you know and you're on some foreign planet and like it's just like oh okay i don't know yeah. like the fuck did you get that from but like i kind of like now especially i'm like i like the ones that are a little more obscure or or just plain weird you know and you think about who those people must have been that you know there was a lot of britain you know if you're talking about the 40s and 50s you had to be pretty brave to be yourself in public and i'm betting a lot of those are probably pen names as i'm saying this but yeah, yeah. like what is the life that like you know, this is somebody who maybe if it's a pen name maybe they had to live their day-to-day -day acting like one thing but th this was their only way to sort of express these weird thoughts because it's like 
you know, I sometimes think that if if I got dropped into that error in my like, yo, this is my throwback brewer's hat. This is my friend Hush Harding. I'm wearing his hoodie. Like, how do I like communicate? Like, and yeah. like these people, like now we get to be who we want to be. You know, we we have that sort of permission to whatever degree. Back then, having to sort of make yourself smaller and find those little nuggets to like connect with the world must have been, I don't know, must have been trippy. Yeah, well, it's really, I mean, it, it's kind of amazing when you find the little things like that, that are, that are sort of escape hatches for people, or they're, they're kind of wormholes into somebody else's head from 50 or 80 years ago. Yeah. Recognize that, hey, there were people that, that kind of had weird lives and, and were making weird work. And like, there's a feeling of solidarity, at least, you know? yeah like, yeah like it's you know we can yeah. be out there. and it's it's i'm wondering now um i was thinking about some different things i've seen about public domain garfield can't be that or is it 50 years or maybe it's 100 years oh, in terms of yeah. Oh, yeah. the mickey and mouse the stuff has been interesting and like the, the, there's that new winnie the pooh movie that's a horror movie because that that's pretty wild yeah. like it's, it's a fun era to be getting into yeah i think the mickey mouse thing now did didn't they they like introduced a new mickey mouse so yeah they... so i think it would be only like steamboat willie that would at first be available in public domain though if i remember correctly they've always found some way to sort of push it off i don't i mean if you're following the news at all the, the whole relationship between disney and the state of florida is a pretty wild premise to begin with and just how they're fighting over yeah. all that stuff so disney somehow has some way of of extra special power <laughs> I'm I'm not a Disney fan, but I am I I do find it fascinating that that they are kind of the ones fighting the hardest. Yeah. Or not let's say, but but they're they're an impediment to what's taking over this country, you know. And I I always kind of thought Disney was real. These days was just kind of commercial and and didn't you know i i never have really connected with with anything past like 1980 from disney so they made there was a movie that some independent filmmakers made about maybe 15 20 years ago called escape from tomorrow i think or escape from tomorrowland where they shot in all the disney parks without permission and mm -hmm. they essentially they went in there and they told a story about a family that was there and the father was getting like distracted by these young women that it was catching his eye. And then it kind of spins out some really weird stuff from there. But it was all shot inside the Disney parks. And it wasn't until like they shot in each park like over a period of time and they didn't really figure out what was happening until the end. And in the end, they had enough to stitch this film together that's available now to see. And it is really weird to see this entire other side of Disney where it's like you never see like everything you see of Disney shot in the parks is shot through the filter of Disney. So it's the first time yep. you ever really seen it. And it's all in black and white. But and then Disney, they either could, I think it's called Escape from Tomorrow or Escape from Tomorrowland, one of those two. I th but like Disney just did never went after them legally because they they realized if we do everybody will know about this and if not there'll be some random guy on a podcast telling someone about it 15 years later and like nobody will know about it and that's what happened but it's really yeah. a fascinating watch wow that's it I definitely I, I go back and forth being concerned about that sort of thing I mean honestly I'm I'm kind of if Viacom wants to crush me, I'm I'm pretty crushable, you know. Yeah, I'm like yeah. 
broke 43-year-old weirdo. What are they like, coming for? You know, it's like... Yeah, what I are they... Think- I think, too, a lot of what it is is that, like, if you're doing something well enough, they may come after you just to incorporate your idea or something. And it's like, I don't think the way I think and I honestly I, I probably come I hate him saying this, but I probably come closer to the type of issues you're talking about. I've gotten a cease to sister, too, in my day um, mm-hmm. over stuff. But your stuff is really it's really in the distance. And it, I think it really does qualify as parody. I think it's not I, I, I would I mean, I'm not yeah. this is not me giving legal advice, but it, it really feels <laughs> like it. You know, it's well, I've always said that my my legal strategy is is I, the first sticker I made up, which just said like it had Garfield's head, Garfield's severed head. And it said, I'm not Garfield. I'm Garfield from memory. And and that's basically my my yeah my only legal defense. But I think with the original art, I'm pretty safe. I think there's yeah. a lot of a lot of precedent out there. Um, it's it's things like prints and T-shirts, which I have a you know I have a big cartel and I sell some merchandise. That's what I would probably you know they'd probably just send a cease and desist and I take it down. Yeah, you know that's what happened. I had some with um. It's funny. You see some companies are really big on it and some aren't. Like I found that um, DC Comics or probably Warner in general in particular, they're, mm-hmm. they've um, they've dinged me on something. And um, for some oh. reason, I, I keep seeing this this Pac-Man thing here. They yeah. um they they I guess for some reason they dinged me on something I did at some point, but oh. I don't know. It's not it's like they they're not these companies also know they're just like, hey, just take it down. You know, there won't yeah. be any problem. You know. And that's what I, I feel like the first, you know, what most of people's, you know, C and D letters end up. Right. What comes I, from. I'd also add too, just because they send you a cease and desist letter does not mean that they're right. Like it does not mean that what, and I'm just saying this for myself, for other people that, that I'm, I'm saying that I'm not, a, like, I don't consider myself a bootlegger who gets dinged every once in a while. It's like, I do aim towards doing parody and they also know they send a cease and assist. I'm going to have to spend a bunch of money to fight it. And I probably only made $4 off of this print over five years. And it's like, what, you know, I don't blame them, you know? Yeah. <laughs> if I invented the flash, I'd probably be kind of, kind of protective of it too. So, <laughs> but I do think with Garfield, I mean, that's, it, it, it's, it's kind of different by intellectual property, intellectual property, but I think Garfield kind of relies on this fan excitement about it to kind of keep the brand alive. Cause I, I, I said before, like as much as I love it, I don't think that at its core it's, it's as interesting as it is the emotional stuff that comes off of it and the excitement people get over it in the parody. I don't think the stories themselves are as compelling as the, you know, character and the feeling. Right. I, I agree. And I think that, that that's, it's something that a lot of brands are more concerned with these days people's the fan base the fan response like people's critiques of it you know they're actually listened to a lot more and partly because they have more platforms to have um but it's still like it's kind of it's it makes me as an artist feel a little bit better just knowing that i have enough of a following that they probably wouldn't want the you know any sort of backlash i guess yeah yeah you know yeah, and that's i think a good point too yeah like you I don't think, you don't you want know, to seem like the giant evil corporation when you're putting out cartoons you want to seem like the friendly like right any corporation and i think and too I, um 
the the one time I got pinged on the on one thing, I don't want to be too specific about it, was because I sort of combined it with a hip hop image. And mm-hmm. um I and I noticed on the same sites they didn't take down other characters that other parody things. I think it was because okay, well now you're taking this into a more adult world. Like it was a mashup between those two characters. And I think too, if you're not doing if you're do if you're doing like like Garfield urinating on Calvin urinating on the um the Chevy thing, which I guess actually probably is parody now that I say it, but it's like not something racy, you know. Yeah, although I have done plenty of racy. So I I mean I think definitely if someone wanted to find objectionable content in my work they could but I don't know I mean luckily I'm small enough that people who are out looking to ruin other people's lives haven't mine yet you know I feel like those days are kind there was a time where you know I'm a hip hop artist too where like you had to be super careful about every sample you put out there cuz like someone's out there going to find it and send you a bill. But I think people are a lot more realistic now that it's like, well, the problem is 10,000 people are making one buck off of this. So what are we going to do? It's not like one person's making 10,000. It's like, and right. it's, it's like they sort of discourage these companies. They go, it's like, at least someone's talking about us. Cause it's like, these brands do die. I mean, I had a conversation with someone about Ninja Turtles and I'm like, I cannot believe we're still talking about Ninja Turtles in this day and age. Cause like so few things last over time and things that are super successful, just people lose interest. And if people stop talking about it and stop being excited enough to actually make this stuff and keep it going, you know, cause like Bugs Bunny, who cares about Bugs Bunny now? That, that was one of the talk about this new Space Jam movie is like in 2000, whatever, kids don't relate to Bugs Bunny. We all still have a little bit of Garfield in us, but I don't think we have as much Bugs Bunny in us anymore. You know? Well, I, but, but that's because I watch old cartoons all yeah. day. <laughs> I think someone pointed out to me that the character Deadpool, the character is a cross between Bugs Bunny and the Terminator. And I, and every time I see him now, I'm like, wow, that is really exactly what it is. And that's sort of the legacy of Bugs Bunny to some degree to me. I think if Bugs Bunny had ever gotten really mad, he could have terminated somebody. Probably. Yeah. Like and it was funny that I was I was listening. This is podcast on how did this get made, and they talk about bad movies. So they watch mm-hmm. a bad movie and kind of joke about it, and they watch Space Jam. And they said that the creator is it, who's the creator of um is it Chuck Chuckamuck Chuck um what's his name who Chuck, created Chuck Jones the Chuck Jones that's what it is yeah that he I guess was mad about Space Jam because he said that Bugs Bunny would never bring in um other people to help fight his battles. And that was what he really, and like, it's funny. It's like, you could say, well, that's sort of like ridiculous, but this guy understood what made the characters work. And so many of these characters get taken outside of the little box you need to see them in that really makes sense in. And then it doesn't work as well. Yeah. You know, well, it's what was the, like, there was like baby Looney Tunes series. Oh, Tiny Tune of- Adventures that I, you know, that though is a great show. <laughs> <laughs> I love that was that was done by Steven Spielberg. Um, I would love that show, but I'm betting there's a lot of and I love Muppet Babies, but I'm betting there's a lot of people out there who you know were just like, what is this? <laughs> I'm wondering. Yeah, did Frank Oz really love Muppet Babies? You know, like know. can can you control your creation once it's out in the world, or is it sort of? I mean, I kind of feel like at some point you have to be able to let it go and let it change. You know, let Bugs Bunny bring in, yeah, bring in Jordan to help fight his battles, and bring in Newman from Seinfeld. Great movie. 
Um, speaking of the Muppets, that was another one too that was huge for me. That Mupp- um, I was talking about this on a recent episode where, like, it's when you actually see like a documentary on the Muppets, it's kind of weird to see just how flimsy the illusion really is. It's really just a dude with his hand up something that like is limp when it's not. And it's like, it feels so real to life. And they always feel like they're really could be in the real world. And it, it, it's, it's magical in a way, you know, I grew up watching the Muppet show pretty, pretty seriously. We had, we had, my parents had uh, recorded it on uh, VHS off of TV. So it had all the commercials. Yeah. I would just watch it over and over. I think one of the great things about that show is that because of that, that kind of thin line between, you know, the, the handful of felt and foam and the person inside it, you know, there's, there's kind of something for the, all of the guests to really respond to. Yeah. And you, ones that really have that that sense of play that really can engage and it's just it really is magical that show you it know? must have been hard as you're saying that, i'm thinking about what it must have been like for someone like carrie fisher or i'm guessing like the carpenters you know. or something to come on and like for us at home it's all the magic is all happening but to actually talk to this yeah. thing while someone else is sitting there there was a saturday night live sketch where justin timberlake was singing a song with um with kermit and uh-huh. as the song goes on, he, the, the guy who's doing Kermit starts like bumping him. And it turns out an all out brawl between Justin Timberlake and the guy <laughs> doing Kermit. It's one of the funniest things. <laughs> but um, yeah, the Muppets for me, I remember that was, I think, one of the first things I remember ever watching on television with my parents. It was that and like Dukes of Hazard Friday nights, like eating popcorn, you know. Mm-hmm. It's, um, yeah. Oh, and it's a great heart it you know it was this this cast that was trying to make their own show happen each time you know and you had the backstage stuff going on and it just was really like a kind of amazing portrait of a group of people making art in in a work of art you know like all the characters are are members of the you know or they work for the theater it just uh I don't know. I, I guess I, I love it when there's just, you know, artists on screen. Yeah. There's um something about the Muppets that is very it, that's very um inspiring to me because they said before the suspension of disbelief or, or like the whole illusion is very thin is that it's important for people like you know, the Muppets. If you, so there's some people who look at home and look at the Muppets and go, I could never do anything like that. But when you actually break down what's happening, it's not highly technical. It's not like um, it's not even highly expensive. Like it, it, it's like it's not as hard as it looks, I guess, if you have the heart to push yourself to doing it. And I think that's it's a good lesson to learn that you're like to bring to bring something inanimate to life is only it really doesn't take a lot much more than your imagination. It's a little bit. Yeah. Of, you know, that's things I love the most is getting to to interact with people who want to be creative and haven't found a way in or people who are kind of just discovering making their own art or writing or something like that. I used to work at an art supply store and and I would host these events and it just was this incredible feeling to kind of figuratively and literally give someone the tools to, to take something out of their head, you know, or, or their heart or whatever and make it real so that they can 
and it just was like yeah that there are things out there now that just really uh, I feel like I'm just rambling here <laughs> no no it's funny you're uh the last person I interviewed was an art therapist and and we talked a lot about just um just what art can do for you from from an from an emotional perspective and, and when you're in a time of crisis and it it not only connects you with you know most people were given crayons as a child if you had no other toy you probably at least had a pack of crayons and mm -hmm. something to draw on even if it was a wall and like it brings just the act of picking it up and doing that brings you back to that place. And it, and it also, it occupies your hand and it occupies your mind and it makes you less likely to pick up your cell phone or pick up a cigarette or pick up whatever. And it's such, it puts you in almost a vulnerable yet safe spot at the same time where, and I think it's a very powerful thing for people who maybe want to be creative, but have trouble getting going that it's, to be guided into that spot is a very powerful thing. Yeah. I I always love to encourage people to try right. because you never know, you know, and I, I had really, I wasn't planning for anything to happen when I started doing these Garfield drawings. You know, I just started posting them because I was making so many of them and it just seemed kind of fun, you know, and nothing really been that fun in a while. And that it, it, was amazing to me that that could kind of build into something so unexpected and wonderful in my life and I, the, I kind of, oh sorry oh no I just am saying I think I think for people to have that kind of creative agency does so much more than you than you really even imagine it would you know yeah was your growth exponential or was it, has it, is it kind of more steady? Cause like, was there like a moment where it was like, okay, I have about, you know, maybe a couple hundred people paying attention and I woke up and like, oh my God, that was like a lot more. And now I have to see how that's, I was in this, I was in this group where this, um, they blew, they blew up this guy's, um, this, this, this father had retired and he wanted to, he wanted to have a popular cheese toast blog on the internet and uh -huh. his wife, his 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 daughter just put something in this really popular group I was in that's just, I forget what it was about in Facebook. And like thousands and thousands of people signed up right away. And everybody was super excited because this guy was so nice. And he didn't know what to do. He was like, am I being made fun of? Or do these people really like me? And like, yeah. he, I could watch over the course of the week him not knowing what to do. But now he's like super pumped and he's selling cheese toast t-shirts. And it's like the most warm hearted thing I see on the internet. I brought it up like four times in this podcast. So sorry. No, no, I haven't. I like I, I it's actually been a pretty gradual growth for the most part. Um when I've done events sometimes they've gotten I did um the um I did a podcast about a year or so ago, the office hours one. Mm -hmm. Um and that kind of that that's probably the one that I've gotten the most people who have said, oh, I started following you because of seeing you on office hours. You, know? you heard that articulate ox listeners? You heard that? You have a challenge. <laughs> <laughs> um, beat office hours. <laughs> it was, and honestly, it was like one of the most awkward experiences of my life, but it was kind of, I was just like, I'm going to do it. I'm going to paint this. And like, I, you know, it was fine. But anyway, that, that was the, the thing that probably, and that was only a couple hundred people, really. I mean, I think I, if I were more interested or more uh, 
savvy on social media, I, I, I'm sure I could grow it faster, you know, but I, I've always kind of been afraid in a way that it's something that's so, so meaningful to me. And, right. and I, I kind of almost don't want to rock the boat. Well, the thing too, is like the logistics of blowing, like scaling any sort of business is tricky because i i hit a point when i was selling my own art where i'm like and i hate to sound like like and there's a lot of people out there that have probably struggled to sell art and didn't i hate to say, sound like what i'm about to say is but i've gotten an order i'm just like the packing of up and all of this doesn't even feel like it's worth it and it's just like it becomes like i my life isn't set up to handle it's set up to handle this level of business but if it gets bigger then it doesn't i can't even do the basic elements of it so you you want to well, have some control over I'm feeling that now and um and not even it just it's it's a disorganized creative person. Yeah. It's not like I don't know. I I'm lucky that I had a lot of retail experience and I had a lot of like shipping experience in in previous jobs. Mm -hmm. So I kind of had a little bit of an idea of what to expect on the back end, but it's there's just a lot of unseen work and no one's gonna congratulate you for it you just have to freaking do it <laughs> right it's like just like I, I i i moved into my house a few years ago and i and my girlfriend moved in here about a, a year maybe less than a year ago when she was moving in i was going through all this stuff and i found all these like boxes that i only saved because they were vaguely shaped like a canvas and i'm like okay if i happen to sell a canvas this size i'm gonna have this box because when you sell one you're like how it's like you you it's like finding that perfect box becomes like you know lord yeah. of the rings <laughs> yeah and then you're like wait i've got like 80 boxes under my bed for some reason like right. you know like yeah it, it's it looks it's, like you're constantly moving <laughs> yeah yeah I, I just moved out of a really tiny place and it was kind of, it had gotten to the point where I, I just wasn't really able to be productive in the space because there were just too many things happening there. Yeah. My last move was like, I moved out of a, like a small apartment in the beginning of the pandemic. Cause I was just like, I, I'm going to get out of here. And then now I'm like, okay, but I still have too many canvases. I, I got to start. Um, I don't know. I'm thinking about some of the, some of the stuff that you do, which I think is cool is, um, the you know sort of the 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 thrift store paintings that you'll put something into i'm gonna start doing that with some of my own paintings or I take some of my old ones that like maybe i i would go to a thrift store but i'll just sort of add in stuff to it into my own i mean that's my new idea i i've been thinking about that too because i have this i have a lot of paintings from grad school I and mean, i did an mfa and everything and and my work was totally different then and now yeah, I, I was going to ask you about that. What were your like? What were your original ambitions with art? I mean, it's um, if you have an MFA, uh, you certainly you know know yeah, your stuff. Yeah, paint. I wanted to paint. I I I had a lot of friends that were a couple of years older than me, and in New York, and they had just kind of hit the timing right, where they came out of grad school, got shows, and were able to have a pretty, uh, you know, decent living off of making their art as a serious practice and i thought oh well, that'll be easy you know yeah. and I that was a good time for it though i'm guessing this is what like 80s 90s in new york like basquiat years <laughs> well no this was this was like when i was in in college and so oh, okay yeah. still like um it was you know things that were really um 
going great before 2008 you know yeah and then like again recently yeah it's just sort of sometimes you're you're fortunate as a creative person and you're living in a time when there's a market and it's growing and this and that and it's it's i've definitely had to make some adjustments to keep being an artist like i'm living with my parents now um and i i kind of i i'm really pretty happy with the trade-off you know i i need to do this project for whatever reason and i just have to keep doing it you know that's something that i love hearing too is that i i reach this point where you know art becomes something that not that you you do because you want to is because you have to do and um i so i'm working on this long-term project where i made this my new hip-hop album that's called drinking songs for children i I worked on it years ago and then I put it down for 10 years and I picked it back up in the quarantine. I went out and got a lot of my favorite rappers that I've been fans of for years to appear on it. And then I'm making, and I developed this character named Ox. That's like my Garfield. And I'm making a film that was inspired by Garfield's nine lives. Oh my God. Which every, so every life is a different version of Garfield. And so in my, in my movie, every video is going to be a different version of my character. And it all came from Garfield's Nine Lives. I forget why I started rambling talking about this, but probably because of this. That book is incredible, though. And that really is remarkable. You know, it's amazing that they were willing to be that flexible with the character. Yeah. I mean, that sort of set up that in hindsight. Yeah, it's sort of like this is might have inspired a lot of people to be a little more, you know, Mm -hmm. think outside the box. Because I never was a lab animal in one of these. (laughs) That's pretty far out. There's the noir one where he's like a detective in there, right? Yeah. Um, and there's one where he looks like he might be Warholly-esque. Um, there's definitely more adult stuff in this. I mean, not like super, but like, you know, yeah. there's, there's the 80s, like, you know, looking like a woman in a Viking hat on the side of like a van or something. <laughs> but... Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. It's... uh. Yeah. So what, so where, what did you want to, like, what in particular did you study to, to get your, for your MFA? I, I went to a, 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 I like a painting program at Bard College, um, which had at the time a pretty decent, um, it was a really interdisciplinary program. So even though I was studying painting, I was meeting with artists who were, musicians and sculptors and writers and that was kind of always what I really wanted was to have a more have a kind of variety of of uh, teachers you know of input and so it, it was great for that and it was great just to have that time to focus on painting I was making really really abstract paintings at the time um and I kind of felt like I, I wasn't, I didn't feel like I could make figurative painting. I didn't feel like I could make paintings that, that had, you know, stories in them or that were, that were scenes or, or, you know, it just, I kind of, I felt like I had to do something that was more intellectual or more abstract or, or more poetic somehow. And it just kind of, eventually it didn't work, you Mm -hmm. know? Um, and 
Yeah, I don't it's, know. If you it's funny. Me- I, <laughs> I watched this documentary on Picasso a few weeks ago. Um, and he talked about how I hope I'm remembering this correctly, where it was basically the invention of the um camera that was really made him be like, Well, now what what good am I? Now I have to do something else, like in terms of like artistically, because you're like, Well, this changes everything, you know. Mm-hmm. And it is pretty wild how so much of this of our mod like so much of art prior to the past hundred something years or whatever was all based on just trying to record history and, and, you know, remember things as they were. And then there was that, like, we're only about like a little over a century into most of art being ways to express not what is seen, but what is felt, I guess, or like, you know, bring something new to it rather than just being like, all right, I people, you got to remember where this tree was and what this horse looked like. So I better get this down. You know, it's, we're still new to that experiment. I feel like it's split, you know, now, now art, isn't beholden to reality is it doesn't have to do that anymore so it's free you know and um which was kind of my problem i guess yeah (laughs) it was too free and i just didn't i didn't have you know i was making the paintings that meant something to me but they didn't really communicate much beyond that you know or they didn't communicate what i really wanted to communicate which had more to do i think with humor and with finding joy you know and with figuring out a way to kind of get through the rest of life um so i i don't really know why it works with garfield and it didn't work with geometric abstraction you know yeah (laughs) but probably wouldn't work with heathcliff either (laughs) (laughs) were you a far side fan I am more I'm more of a Heathcliff fan than Garfield, I've gotta say. I had a Heathcliff like, lunchbox when I was a kid. I always liked that someone on that show always spoke in rhymes. That was like as a like a little rap kid, I always like that. He was like, yeah, he was the he terrorized the neighborhood, you know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that that must be weird that there was always that thing where like GoBots and Transformers and Heathcliff and Garfield and like two volcano movies coming out in the same summer. You're like, what really is happening there? <laughs> came first he was the original uh oh, he was, was before garfield he was like 72 73 and garfield was wow. like 78 it's like in like heathcliff exists pretty much only in our memories at this point like it, heathcliff for those who don't know is sort of like kind of like if you combine garfield with fat albert i think is, is almost sort of maybe the tone of it or the feel of it maybe i don't know kind of like uh i mean he was he was a little more of a like prankster you yeah. know he had a, a larger world too than just the house. He had the whole neighborhood. Yeah. And yeah. Follow Heathcliff on Instagram. It's I kind of love where it is now because oh, I had to look it up. I hadn't even thought about it, that. Weird. It's just really weird. There's all these like Heathcliff just I mean, it's always been kind of weird. He wears helmets that say like ham on it or gravy. He just he just has these these passions so that the Heathcliff these days is it's very kind of um it's not dramatic but it's weird as hell it's really weird I don't know you should check it out you know what that triggered a memory me so they made um I read this not long ago they made a Snagglepuss graphic novel that blew me away and it was like Snagglepuss and um 
Huckleberry Hound. And I think Snagglepuss was basically playing like a Truman Capote type character. And it was really written very seriously and poignantly. And it was about, you know, homosexuality. And DC had started doing some of these comics where they're taking these characters and elevating them to this more dramatic platform. And it was really quite good. When did this come out? I, I um, have to, I have to in the, the past five to ten years, and I think it got—I think it might have gotten some decent acclaim too. But it was a Snagglepuss because um, I just read it last year, but it had been out for a while, so you can probably get um get it pretty easily. It's it's, it's excellent. I don't have a great memory myself, so I have oh, to. Or else, yeah. That tomorrow or Escape from Tomorrowland? Yeah, that's, I can't. That, that movie is just it's wild it's it's and it gets pretty weird it gets it gets pretty bonkers yeah. i just i really love like people ask me what garfield stuff i collect and i i don't collect the merchandise very much i have a couple things like the little mirrors that they made but oh like um, um one of these yep i got one it, of these at a carnival when i was in like kindergarten Oh wow! That this, is, been... this, is, this is the old, this is the original, probably first piece of Garfield memorabilia I ever had, and um, it still hangs in my bathroom today. So yeah, got a couple of those, but what I really love are like the hand painted ones. Oh yes, you know, ceramic forms, or they made uh, cutouts that you could paint, and something about other people's versions of these characters. It just it's, it's so touching. It's so weird, you know, mm -hmm. they remember it kind of wrong. So they've got like the stripes done like in different ways. It just, it's pretty phenomenal. It's my favorite thing. So that's, I, I collect bootleg Garfield memorabilia. That's cool. Yeah. A lot of the stuff I have is, is bootleg too. It's, um, there's so much cool stuff out there. It's, and it's. Oh, like there's people making stuff that I just love. So, yeah. So. Right, any other Garfield stuff you want to talk about today? Uh, man, I could. I mean, I could talk Garfield for a really long time. Well, what's um, what <laughs> what is your? I know you mentioned the scary um Halloween special. Is there anything? Is there any Garfield joke in particular, or any aspect of the character that really makes you chuckle, or that you that really you know? I you you know I I just kind of like how mellow garfield is for the most part yeah fitted to to being lazy he is as a person who's who's like pretty lazy in some ways like i paint all the time but i you know i'm also pretty i like watching tv you know are you a cat like, person i am a cat person but i am allergic to cats oh, and since my last cat unfortunately past i kind of i feel like it's gotten worse so now when i'm around i, I did cat con uh this past summer in pasadena what is cat con it's a lot of cat fanciers and cats wow. being a, people in cat costumes like any cat related anything oh it's that's not, how like, big is that that sounds amazing it's pretty big um there's the yeah it's like it's like a comic con but just cats oh yeah my God. that sounds like a blast worlds within worlds man it's far out um but anyway i was staying with a friend with cats and i got really sick actually oh. so it's it's I, I feel like a little bit of a poser now i have a dog now 
It's all right. Hey, you know, there's Odie too. I, I'm a big Odie fan. What happened to, um, uh, what was his name? Odie's original owner. Oh, Lyman. Lyman. Yeah. Yeah. That was, that was, a, it's, it's funny how in a comic that basically only had like five characters, they're like, yeah, we only need four. Like, yeah. Ditch one guy. You know? I don't know where he's been. And um, John never really, he never really married Irene, did he? Like, like the world, the world yeah. of Garfield, I don't think ever really. Um, no, Irene just, is, Irene is the, is, is the female uh, cat, right? And, and the vet's name is. Cat and the vet's name, I always forget. Um, Lynn? No. Liz. Liz. That's what it is. Liz. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Arlene is the weird, long-necked pink cat that's yeah. like builds concubine. I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> I remember the first time I saw what color normal was. I was like mad. I'm like, no, that's not right. That's not the color, color that I was picturing. Normal. <laughs> <laughs> what color did you think? You I thought normal was should have been pink, and I don't yeah. know why. But I mean, I was a little kid. But like, I I don't know why. But <laughs> maybe he seemed like he was the Arlene's. Spawn. oh maybe yeah 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 it is it is funny how they were just so willing to make like like that halloween special just i mean that's objectively i think scary for kids like they don't like they don't i don't know i guess i don't watch a lot of like modern halloween stuff i don't know how they sort of do something now that isn't like that it's still in the spirit of the season but well they did there was that sesame street where they had the um uh, the woman that played the Wicked Witch of the West was Margaret Hamilton. Yes, what was Come that? Sure, and they actually took it out of syndication because it was too scary. She came to Sesame Street. I remember I this. Flown into Sesame Street or something, and then she was there terrorizing them. And she finally—I don't remember how they got rid of her, but it was. Here, it was a waterworks. <laughs> it. <laughs> I don't think anybody let him know. Yeah. Uh, I mean, turned the hose on her. Yeah. But, but, you oh, remember, yeah. You remember like with Snuffleupagus? When I was a kid, he was imaginary. And or they, we thought he was imaginary. Then at some point, I guess everybody knew he existed. I don't know. I don't remember that. Oh, but I Maybe 80. this could have been a fever dream, too. <laughs> you might have been ahead of the curve. Got yeah. the intro. I don't know. It's like, I don't know. But, um. All right. I think that's, uh, I think I got to read some Garfield tonight. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Catch up. Did you, did you see the Bill Murray movies? Um, I, I know I saw one of them, but it was, I was, you know, it was like at a bar or something. Yeah. So, it, I mean, I'm not a huge, um, CGI person. Yeah. It's a little so weird. It was, I just couldn't quite get into it, you know? Yeah. But also, I didn't. I didn't grow up like a huge, yeah, yeah, Joe or anything. So I, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. It's um. I don't know. But I was my dream is I. I always wanted to grow up and draw Garfield. I was obsessed with the idea that um, they were able to hand draw something that looked like the same every day. And as a kid, to me, that felt like a hill that I would never be able to reach. You know. And you realize it's not that, you know, it's pretty, once you concentrate, it's, it's, it's doable. Like all this stuff is doable. It's just, you have to kind of like stick to it and actually put the effort in, you know? Yeah. Or do an underdrawing, yeah, which I, I, I was never, I still am too lazy to do. 
yeah yeah you know and that definitely i started garfield was also probably the first thing i traced i was definitely probably doing a lot of like tracing of it and then like but then it also taught you um like the all the marvel books teach you to draw by breaking things down into shapes and that's what like garfield is it's just a bunch of shapes yeah yeah a couple chunky ovals yep yep couple of big eyes that i think people usually think are breasts those are the first thing you draw because <laughs> i remember yeah. draw i used to, I used to draw on, the, on like the board at my old office and i would just draw that and people like what are you doing i'm like hold on hold on <laughs> yeah. yeah but all right well we're gonna have your social media stuff at the bottom of this the entire time and oh. like i said I, everybody go check out your work buy some artwork off of you it's it's so cool and i'm so glad you're doing something to keep one of my childhood loves alive you know Thanks so much for having me, man. It's a pleasure. All right, cool. Well, thank you very much. We'll talk soon.